Good morning, church, and good morning to those of you who are viewing who are not associated with our church. We're honored by your presence, but more importantly, we're honored by the presence of the Lord. Jesus promises that wherever two or three have gathered together in His name, He is in the midst of them. We hope in your home that there is more than one person who is gathered with you to worship the Lord, and therefore He's there. Of course, we'd all prefer to be together in this room but we know the Lord will do what He promises in showing up in your home and also in this room. Let's pray together. Lord, we are grateful for Your promises. We thank You that not one of all the good promises You have made us has failed. We know that You're not a man that You should lie or a son of man that You should repent. Have You said it? Will You not do it? Have You promised? And will You not fulfill it? So we're leaning hard on you today, Lord, as we ought to. We find great joy in doing just that. Open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things in your word. We ask this in the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. Dr. John Schindler wrote a book, How to Live 365 Days a Year. This medical doctor did quite a bit of research in writing the book, he has a section which he simply entitles E-I-I. That's brief for emotionally induced illnesses. He did a lot of involvement in places where people came for treatment. One was the Oshner Center in New Orleans, Louisiana. And he discovered that 74% of those who went through a specialized program, all suffering from intestinal disorders, 74% of the 500 evaluated were EII victims, emotionally induced illnesses. He also surveyed Yale Medical School's outpatient services and discovered that all those who came there All of them, 76% of them came with some sort of psychosomatic illness. That does not necessarily recommend to you and I, or those whom we know, that we want to go to an Ivy League school, for sure. That kind of pressure placed upon the students. Ponce de Leon, you may remember the name. He was the Spanish explorer who came to this continent. He found his way into what we now know as Florida, and he searched unsuccessfully, I might add, for the fountain of youth, thinking if he could take a sip of the water from that fountain, he would remain young all of his life. We know it's appointed in a man once to die, and after that comes the judgment. That's just a fact of life. I would suggest today that you and I take to heart what the Bible says in the book of Proverbs 17:22 it says this a joyful heart is good medicine dr schindler did not mention anything about god in his book of evaluating why people get sick with emotional or what we call psychosomatic illnesses but we know in the word of god there is great wealth of all kinds of wisdom, and that has to do with our personal health, 
physically and in our souls and in our spirits. Elizabeth Barrett, you may know her name. She later became known as Elizabeth Barrett Browning because she married Robert Browning, himself a great poet. She was confined to her bed for literally years as a young woman. She could hardly lift her head off of her pillow. She entertained a visit from Robert Browning. I don't know the circumstances of the arrangement for that visit, but he came. They had conversation, and he was such a joyful person. And by the way, he was a believer in Jesus Christ. And she enjoyed it so much, she said, Would you come again? He took the invitation. He came again. And when he entered her room, he found her sitting up in her bed, leaning against the headboard, but sitting up nonetheless. After yet another very encouraging visit, she said, Would you come again? He did come again, and they eloped on the third time. That's amazing, isn't it? A good recommendation for joy because Mr. Browning was so full of the joy of the Lord, it spilled over into this dear one's life. Some years ago, a congressman received a letter from one of his constituents, and the man was pretty negative. In his letter, he said, What is all this stuff in the Declaration of Independence about happiness? I think the Founding Fathers said that we deserve happiness. And then the congressman very wisely responded by saying, Sir, the Constitution, rather, excuse me, the Declaration of Independence does not say that every person is entitled to happiness, but to the pursuit of happiness. The medicine for happiness is to be found in a joyful heart. And the rest of the time we have together today, we're going to be talking about our current condition and then how we transition from a current condition of heaviness of heart, if that happens to be the state in which you find yourself today, or you may find yourself in tomorrow or in the future, how to transition from that state to a state of constant cure in our lives. The Word of God gives us the answer. So I ask you now to turn with me to Proverbs chapter 12, verse 25. And we are going to be looking at the book of Proverbs very much today. So keep your Bible open there. And then also we're going to be looking at the neighboring book of Psalms. So we'll go back to Psalm 103 also today maybe another place or two in the Psalms, because those two books have much to say about how to have a healthy heart and a joyful heart. Look at Proverbs 12, 25. Anxiety in the heart of a man weighs it down, but a good word makes it glad. The current condition of many of us perhaps you, during this time of being sheltered in place and all the information that we're being inundated with about COVID-19 and all the statistics about people who are ill, people who are in ICU, people who are dying of this illness, that's real. 
but we're so immersed in it in our thinking because of our exposure to it that maybe you're getting a bit depressed. I want to confess to you, in the last week, I have felt a certain amount of depression. And it's not fun to be depressed. There's nothing good about it. And it drew me to this passage of Scripture, actually, as I began to look at it. And this message has grown out of my own seeking the Lord and what He would have to say to me so that I could share it with you about how to overcome what is described as anxiety of heart that weighs a person down. The New King James Version translates Proverbs 12:25 this way. Anxiety in the heart of man causes depression. The reason there are differing interpretations of this passage of Scripture is because the word translated anxiety by the New American Standard Bible has various shades of meaning. It carries with it the idea of fear, of dread, of sorrow, of worry, of course. It's a word that really gets all those concepts together in one word. And that is typical of us in this life when we have exposure to information that keeps coming to us and we allow our minds to concentrate on those things. And this condition is one that prevents us from really managing the life that God has given us as He would have us to live it. So the rest of the time that I'm spending with you today will have to do with the cure, the constant cure that God has for us. And in the second part of verse 24, excuse me, 25 of Proverbs, this is what the Bible says, a good word makes the heart glad. The cure is rather simple, frankly. It's a good word. What would that word be? It is the Word of God. One of the more prominent figures in the Old Testament is a man named Jeremiah. He is known as the weeping prophet. He was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, much like the Messiah that he predicted. Jesus was that kind of person. Two. We'll get to him a bit later, but let's talk about Jeremiah for a moment. He was persecuted mercilessly by people whom he loved. He was a threat to the establishment. I'm talking about the religious establishment. He was a threat, in a way, to the political establishment, but more so to the religious establishment. They didn't like the message which he was carrying forward. He was giving the Word of God. And by the way, the book of Jeremiah is the longest of all the books in the Bible. Now, I know some of you might say, wait a minute, Mike. The Psalms, there are 150 Psalms. There are only 50-some-odd chapters in Jeremiah. You would be right about how many chapters in Psalms. But the word count... If you want to bother yourself to do it, there are more words in Jeremiah than any other. He had a lot of time, probably, to write, in part because nobody liked him, you know. He was just alone all the time. Well, this is what he says in the 15th chapter of Jeremiah. 
he's talking to God and he asks him, why is my pain perpetual? And why is my wound incurable? He asked the Lord that. He was being real with the Lord. He was struggling with his situation. Do you feel that way? Perhaps today. You have what appears to be or senses in your heart to be an incurable pain, an ache in your heart that just doesn't seem to have any answer to it. And it goes on and on and on. Well, this man, Jeremiah, understood that. And then he catches himself in that same chapter. And he says to the Lord, Your word was found, and I ate it. Now listen carefully. And it became for me a joy and the delight of my heart. For you, O Lord, have called me by your name. You are the Lord of hosts. His spirit was brightened when he focused on the word of God. This good word which has the capacity to gladden the heart. The reality is God has given us the Bible. And He's given us His Holy Spirit to apply the Scripture to our hearts. As I was wrestling with mild depression this last week, I became, quite frankly, irrational in my thinking. Now, don't call in the authorities on me or anything, okay? But what I mean by irrational, I didn't begin to think about the Lord as I usually do. I began to think about myself. That's always a bad focus for me and probably for you as well. And so at any rate, I began to continue to do that. And I found myself in a quagmire of despondency. But then the Lord spoke to my heart as he is apt to do. And call me back to his word. And the result has been a positive result, by the way. I didn't intend to give this message today. I hadn't even thought about giving this message today. I woke up very early this morning. I had a passage of scripture from the book of John, which would have been appropriate, that I was planning to share. But the Lord spoke to my heart and he said, I want you to talk about this today because there are people in the audience who are hurting when it comes to what's going on in their lives, feeling isolated like Jeremiah did, feeling distressed. In Romans 15:4, the Bible says, Whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scripture, listen, the encouragement of the Scripture, we might have hope. It's worth noting that the Holy Spirit of God is described by Jesus in the book of John in 14 and 15 and 16 of the book of John. He's described as the comforter. He is the one who comforts us. Last week, we saw how the Lord allows things to enter into our lives that are painful for us. Sometimes wounds that feel like they'll never be cured. But he does this so that he can embrace us and comfort us. It's been said that the Holy Spirit's work is that of comforting the disturbed. He does that for us. He comforts us. He comes to us. 
This is His part to play in our lives, among others, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who inspired the biblical writers to record the Word of God. The Holy Spirit who applies the Word of God to us, who explains the Word of God to us. He is our comforter. And we neglect the Word of God to our own peril. We who know the Lord need to come before Him, to hear from Him, and listen to Him as He speaks to us. Back to Jeremiah for just a moment before we move forward. Remember what he said about the Word of God? I found your Word, I ate it, and it was for me a joy and the delight of my heart. I have to believe that Jeremiah may have had in mind one verse in the 119th Psalm, the 103rd verse of that beautiful psalm. And it says that your word is sweeter than honey. Now, what's interesting is that it's not the common term in Hebrew that is translated word there or words there. Rather, literally, it's the word promises. That's what it is. Your words, your promises. Jeremiah went back to the Word of God. And Jeremiah claimed once more the promises of God. Look, God has given us a treasure house filled with promises. They are ours because of our connection to Him. He has called us by His name. We are His children. We are blood-bought children of God in whom the living God dwells. And we need to trust the Lord to help us in this walk with Him. The Word of God. Listen to what Jesus says in the Word of God. In John 15, 11, He said, These things I have written to you or said to you. Actually, He didn't write anything. He said, These words I have said to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Let me give a little background to that statement. What had Jesus said to them? He had said, I am the true vine, you are the branches. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he or she bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. So Jesus had taught about this relationship of dependence upon Jesus as our Lord and trusting Him to produce His life in us. And an aspect of His life is His joy. Many people portray Jesus in their own minds, I might add, as being a curmudgeon, a stick in the mud, a guy that really didn't have much hope or joy in his life. But let me lead you for a moment to think with me about a statement that is made about Jesus in Hebrews chapter 1-9. It says, your God, talking to Jesus, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness above all your companions. Jesus is the consummate joyful person. He did face all kinds of trouble in his life. If we were to go back to last 
Sunday's teaching out of 2 Corinthians, what we would recall is that there are certain stages on the way to final deliverance in our lives. The first of which is distress. We saw Jesus had great distress in his life. Even when he was in the womb, he was distressed because there was an attempt on his life. But he had peace. His peace passes all understanding. But by his own description in John chapter 14, he speaks about his peace, which he gives to us. It's our birthright as believers to have this peace. Jesus lives in us. He gives us his peace. He also conveys his joy to us. What a joyful Savior we have And how he causes us to rejoice in him. Well, who are the messengers of this joy? Remembering that a joyful heart is good medicine. You want a joyful heart, right? Well, I do too. And the messengers are the writers of Scripture. More importantly, the Holy Spirit of God himself. But also, you and I can be messengers. If we know Jesus, we are called upon to encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that our hearts will not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This is the way we are to relate to each other. We don't have any lack of opportunity to do this. We have more time on our hands now than we ordinarily do to communicate with people daily. This is our calling. And what happens when that begins to take place through your life, when the Lord leads you and me to do this in our relationships with others by calling them, texting them, sending them emails, communicating with them by handwritten notes or letters, what happens is we forget about ourselves. We're no longer caught up in all of our own difficulty, all of our own despondency. We are able to really shut the world out in the sense of not making the world our primary source of information slash inspiration, but look at the Word of God. And what happens is God uses us He's given His joy to us, Jesus says. Do you remember in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 7, you probably don't remember this exact reference, but you may have heard the Word of God. Paul, it really surprised me several years ago when the Spirit of the Lord pointed this out to me. But he said, when Titus came, God who comforts the depressed, comforted us through Titus. Now pause just a moment. Who was Titus to Paul? Titus was his spiritual child. He was discipled by Paul. So here's the discipler in despondency. And what happens? God the Spirit brings this man Titus, and when he arrives, he brings a message of joy because of what God's Spirit was doing in the Corinthian church to make it more mature. And it bolstered the spirit of not only Paul, but Timothy and others who were with them when he arrived. Titus was used by the Lord in Paul's life. You and I 
are indwelled by the same Spirit who indwelled that man. We can comfort one another. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the last verse, verse 18, this is what Paul writes to the Thessalonians. He says, comfort one another with these words. Now, there's a context for that statement. It makes me want to, if I were hearing this, I'd say, hey, I want to turn to 1 Thessalonians 4 and read what precedes or follows 1 Thessalonians 4.18. This is what Paul had finished reading. There was the suggestion, falsely I might add, in the church at Thessalonica, it was a fledgling church, that Jesus Christ had already come again. And some of them had missed it. But this is what Paul wrote. He said, The dead in Christ shall rise first. So if you've had someone, he says, and this would be true for us, we all have some relative whom we love who has died. If he or she was in Christ, that person is gone to be with the Lord. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we'll all be united. Take courage in that. Be comforted by that, is what the Word of God says. I'm sure there are more than just one person there. There's more than just one person in the audience today who has lost a loved one, maybe recently. And the very suggestion of a death in the family just sort of causes the pain to resurface. But take heart if you know the Lord. Be comforted by His Word. And we need to comfort people gently when they're suffering, not coming in like gangbusters and blowing them away. But we know the cure is to be found in Scripture, do we not? Because it's His Word and He is the Comforter. And He wants to comfort others through us. We comfort others. The Bible talks about in Proverbs 15, 13. Why don't you turn with me just a couple of chapters over. And let's look at Proverbs 15, 13 for a moment. It says, the first part, it says, A joyful heart makes a cheerful face. You know, when we are taking the right medicine, when we're taking the good Word of God, and our hearts are made glad, we will have a certain radiance in our countenance. There will be cheer in our face. There will be cheer in our tone as we minister to other people. And coming into their presence can, in effect, help them. This especially applies to those in our sphere of influence who don't know Jesus. We meet people every day. I know I have developed quite a relationship with the work crew at Wendy's down near Walmart on Mesa. And uh, they wonder what this old man's doing there every day buying a kid's meal. And so I come in and they know my, I, I get to the deal and I give my order and they say, and you want a bottled water, right? I said, yes, you got it, you got it. But nevertheless, we in those kind of situations have the opportunity to have a cheerful countenance that is not fakey, but it comes out of a heart that's cheerful. A heart that's no longer 
weighted down with the heaviness of all the problems in our lives and around us and in the world. And we can let go and let God take control of that. We can abide in Jesus. We can depend on Him to give us relief from our own prison house that we've constructed of depression in our lives. Robert Murray McChain, a great Scottish preacher in the 19th century, made this statement. He said, The lives of Christians should make people who do not know Christ know that He is alive and want to know Him. Our lives, we have to share the gospel verbally, but there has to be a correspondence between the message of the gospel and the message of our lives in the way in which we find joy in our lives. Well, we can be those who are messengers to our brothers and sisters in Christ, can't we, just like Titus was? Because Jesus lives in us by His Spirit. What a mission we have. Corey Tinboom made this statement. I can't tell you which of her books it's found in, but she said this. She says, if you're unhappy with your lot in life, build a service station on it. One of the ways we can serve our brothers and sisters in Christ is to encourage them to share the word of the Lord with them with gentleness, of course. And by the way, we need to encourage ourselves, too. You can encourage yourself. And really, it's not you're encouraging yourself. It's the Spirit of God working in you to find those promises in His Word which are applicable to you so that you can be encouraged. Isaiah 50, verse 4 says, The Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples so that I may find a word to sustain the weary one. Morning by morning, he awakens me to listen like a disciple. When I open the Word of God to fellowship with him every morning, I open it. I'm coming to honor him, to worship him. And he regularly speaks to me in a way that's encouraging. But it's not just for me. It's for those whom I might meet that day that I might be used by God. It's not because I'm a preacher. It's because I'm a child of God. And I can share something that will be uplifting with that person. Psalm 103. We looked at it in our opening reading today. I want to invite you to go back there. Because this adds to our understanding a lot of meat on the bones of our being men and women who are joyful. How can we have this kind of heart that's glad from the good Word of God? Look at Psalm 103, verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of His benefits. David is the human author of this psalm, and he tells his soul to bless the Lord. What's another word for bless? Praise the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Praise praise His holy name. That's what He says. And then He says at the end of this great psalm that 
when we do so, we will be joining the angels in heaven, the hosts of heaven, all that God has created. The whole universe praises the Lord, is what the Scripture says in the book of Psalms. But we will be joining that great throng of His creation to praise Him. Tell my soul, look, I have to sit my soul down occasionally and say, Okay, soul, bless the Lord. I have to make myself to do it. That seems so mechanical, doesn't it? But it's necessary. And what I've learned over the years is that when I obey the Lord in this, and I obey what God says in the book of Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. The good news is that there is a lifting of my spirit. It's not self-suggestion. It is God's command that we rejoice in Him and we bless Him and not forget His benefits. What are His promises? Listen quickly. Who pardons all your iniquities. Look a little later in this beautiful psalm to verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. And then glance down to verse 11. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His loving kindness toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. How far is that? That's to infinity and beyond, to borrow a phrase. That's where he's done. They're gone as far as he's concerned because of his righteousness in Christ that has been conveyed to us who know him. Isn't this awesome to think about? That We could stop there and we should be joyful for the rest of our lives. But let's go back because the Word of God adds a few more things to it. Who heals all your diseases. We know that we are all going to die. We know that. Most of us will die because of some physical ailment. But what we know is that the Lord has healed us a lot in the course of our lifetimes and will probably as we go forward. He is able to cure any disease. He redeems your life from the pit. That means He takes up the waste products of your life. I've got a lot of waste in my background, history. I've wasted a lot of times focusing on me instead of focusing on the Lord and others who do know the Lord and don't know the Lord in hopes that they would come to know the Lord. I've, I've wasted a lot of life. But in His grace, He's even able to take that and transform it into something positive in our lives. He crowns us with loving kindness and compassion. I counted up in this psalm how many times either loving kindness or compassion or grace or such terms are used nine times in this passage. That is a focus of this psalm on the nature of God in His great loving kindness. And lo and behold, what has He done for us? He has put a crown of His loving kindness and compassion on us, enabling us to be agents of that to other people. What a great God we serve. He satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. I'd like to read something. 
from General Douglas MacArthur that is very encouraging to me, and I trust it will be to you as I read this very wise insight. He said, Youth is not a time of life. It is a state of mind. It is not a matter of red cheeks and red lips and supple knees. It is a temper of the will, a quality of the imagination, a vigor of the emotion. It is a freshness of the deep springs of life. Youth means a temperamental predominance of courage and that courage over timidity, of the appetite for adventure over a life of ease. This often exists in a man of 50 more than in a boy of 20. Nobody grows old by merely living a number of years. People grow old by deserting their ideals. Years may wrinkle the skin, but to give up enthusiasm wrinkles the soul. Worry, doubt, self-distrust, fear, and despair, these are the long, long, long years that bow the head and turn the growing spirit back to dust. You are as young as your faith, he went on to write, as old as your doubt. As young as your self-confidence, as old as your fears. As young as your hope, as old as your despair. Well written. I don't agree with everything he said, but the gist of it is certainly something that relates to what we just read here in Psalm 103. How God says, who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. In the book of Proverbs 25, if you'll go back there as we begin to wind down our time together. Proverbs 25:11, a familiar verse to you, maybe not knowing where it's found, but you've heard this many times, I would imagine, where the scripture says, like, like apples of gold in settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. That is beautiful, isn't it? If we were to turn back to the 15th chapter of Proverbs, the 23rd verse, we would read how delightful is a timely word. God has given us this great opportunity at this time in our personal histories and world history to be men and women who can give a timely word of encouragement. The Word of God. In Proverbs 25, 25, you're in that vicinity, so look at it with me. 25, 25 says, Like cold water to a weary soul, so is good news from a distant land. Do we have good news to share? We have the gospel. It means good news. There are people who do not know Christ. And if you're here today with us via this medium, and you don't know Jesus Christ, you just sort of stumbled on this presentation. Listen, the gospel of Christ is for you. The good news is, that Christ came into the world to save sinners. You are a sinner, just like I am and the rest of mankind. But Christ became sin on your behalf. What that simply means, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, 
He died in your place. He took the punishment for your sin. He did for you what you could have never done if you lived a thousand times. And the result of that was He offers you the free gift of eternal life. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. You will be saved if you are saved from your sins. By the goodness and grace of God. It has nothing to do with your working hard to be a better person. It has everything to do with humbling yourself before the Lord and embracing the gift that Jesus Christ offers to you today. Eternal life. It is the best news that anyone could ever hear. And it's the news that we have who know Jesus to share with a world that is dying without hope and is in great distress. One last word to those of you who are listening and to those who are here. In Proverbs 16, verse 20, the last line says, Blessed is the person who trusts in the Lord. Putting our faith in the Lord is the ultimate cure for that which ails us in the area of depression or anxiety. It's letting go of the control of our own lives in favor of giving Christ our control. That's what the word trust is used throughout the book of Proverbs. It's an awful, great word. It is a word that's used to describe a conquered enemy bowing before his conqueror. It's the word used to describe a slave bowing before his or her master. This is the role that God has given us to play, to come and humble ourselves before Him and watch Him do His work. The Bible tells us in 1 Chronicles 16, 11, Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His presence continually. For good reason. Because in the book of Psalms, the Bible says, In His presence there is fullness of joy. John tells us that Jesus said, if anyone is my servant, he or she will follow me. Where I am, he goes on to say, there will my servant also be. We're with Jesus. If we know him, we're following him. We're in his presence where there is fullness of joy. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, we just ask now that you would touch the hearts of people who have tuned in today and have listened to this teaching from your word. We pray for those who do not know you, that they would ask Jesus Christ to forgive them of their sin, come into their lives and give them eternal life. Pray that if you don't know Christ, trust him with all your heart. And then for those of us, Lord, who know you, and we've fallen off the rails in a way in this time of great distress. Help us to know that you are our great comforter. Help us to go to you in your word and apply what you teach us as we commune with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.